Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of My Mind, My Funk Show. My name is Sitawa Wafula, and I am your host, as well as the founder of My Mind, My Funk, which is a mental health resource hub that I founded in 2013 with the aim of providing people in Africa and Africans across the globe with proper mental health information, as well as linkages to support systems. On this show, I have conversations with Africans from all walks of life, and on this fifth season of the show, I am specifically talking to African and Black men across the globe. Today we go all the way to Canada, and I am in conversation with David Grant, who is a social worker, a PhD student, and the founder of Global Mind Emancipation. On the show, we discuss how he became a social worker, but also look at some of the things that our parents, African parents, Black parents, do or say that we've always thought is part of who they are, but could have been manifestations of mental health issues that we miss. So I hope you learn a lot from the show like I did, have a lot of mic drop moments, but most importantly, use the information from the show to be able to take care of yourselves and those around you. Enjoy the show. My name is David Grant. I am currently a PhD student in the School of Public Health Sciences at the University of Waterloo. That university is located in Waterloo, Ontario. So by virtue, I am based in Canada, specifically Brampton, Ontario. Um, my ancestry or my heritage is that of African Jamaican uh, heritage. Um, and I obviously put in the term African Jamaican because as we know Jamaica is a very diverse country um, but you know obviously with a predominant uh, black slash African population so uh, with people of African descent so my father was born and raised in Jamaica my mother was born in England and I always say that my parents um, both, my both sides of my parents represent the typical pattern of how Jamaicans come to Canada it's either by way of directly so from Jamaica to Canada or as I would call the trifecta they go from Jamaica to England slash the UK then to Canada so I have no both experiences haven't been to England as of yet um, but I have been to Jamaica and I am currently based in Canada so yeah that's that's me and I am a registered social worker and I do operate my own private psychotherapy and counseling practice called Global Mind Emancipation Educational and Counseling Services so we will talk more about that but I am a firm advocate for mental health um, among other things but mental health is my passion mental health and illness of course okay so I was noting down a couple of things so we'll get into the migration and you say that's the typical pattern so that we'll get into that and see uh, what are some of these things that are making people move and what are some of the things they encounter when they move and then uh, back to Jamaicans so what makes Jamaica one of the best places in the world if you were to say it's one of the best places in the world <laughs> Uh, big up jam though. Um, yeah, one of. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> but if you were to talk to the average Jamaican, I don't even know if they would say one of. They would say it is the best place to live. Um, no, no, I think, I'm from Kenya, so Kenya is the best. Oh, well, you see what I mean. When you talk, 
when you're talking to another proud black person, whether it's from Haiti or Kenya or Nigeria, it's always the best place. It's just yeah. like, what do, you, what do you mean one up? No, it is the best. So yeah. what makes Jamaica so amazing? I mean, for one, you know, for being uh, such a geographically speaking small island, right? You would never know because the way uh, we as Jamaican people uh, carry ourselves is with such pride and such uh, braggadociousness and you would think it was the largest island in the Caribbean. I think it's actually Cuba. But the way that we exert our pride and our, um, you know, just our passion about the love for our culture is, you know, it's 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 remarkable, right? So I think it's the pride, it's the ambition. Anywhere Jamaican people have gone and made amazing contributions. I mean. When you think about, uh, you know, the when you think about reggae music, it's international, right? When yeah. you think of any place that, you know, Jamaicans have gone, they've gone to Australia. I've when I used to live up in the UK for two years, it, the only there was only one, like, you know, Jamaican restaurant up there, and, and everybody knew her, right? You know, there's Jamaicans all throughout Europe. Anywhere Jamaicans have gone, they've made some impact. I mean. You know, in Canada specifically, Lincoln Alexander, he was Jamaican. He was the, the first lieutenant governor, right? You have um, Eva Smith. I wrote an essay about her. She started one, you know, a, a very strong uh, homeless youth shelter. So when she came here, she already was bringing excellence. So anywhere Jamaicans have gone, um, we, we, we've been phenomenal, right? We just bring this aura about us um, and we, we exude it uh, proudly. So, I mean, from the food, I mean, our food is, of course, everybody, of course, knows jerk chicken. I mean, there's oxtail, there's curry goat, there's ackee and salt, there's just kalaloo and salt, there's, you know, there's, you know, there's a whole bunch. So there's so many things that make Jamaica such a beautiful place from our pride to our food. I, I could probably do a whole lecture just on Jamaica. It, it looks like so. Yeah, Let's my God. <laughs> yeah, it, you can see the passion coming out. No, it's, it's a beautiful place. Uh, you know, I miss it. I've been some time since I've been back. So, um, yeah, it's okay. a beautiful place. Okay, it's, it's one of the items on my bucket list. And I recently discovered that as a Kenyan, with a Kenyan passport, that I don't need a visa. You know, some of us, our visas, uh, our yeah. passports can only take us so far. Yeah. Right? So I could actually Ooh. go to Jamaica for three months. Um, As you should. So that, that's on my bucket list. I, I want to go there. Uh, but Excellent. it's true what you say with regards to the music. I know back home in Kenya, reggae, raga, different versions of it. Yes. And, and, and Jamaican artists are ever coming to yes. Kenya. Um, so yes, there's definitely that impact that you make across right. the globe. Yeah. So now we'll focus on you. We'll talk about you. So now we'll we'll narrow down and talk about you. And um, you started by sharing about a typical pattern of migration, and yes. I like our conversation today to talk about what migration looks like and people living in the diaspora and also look at some of the challenges they face and the things yeah. that you're doing through um, being a social worker and also with your PhD to be mm -hmm. able to provide help and support to them. So how did you get into that space? Uh, specifically as a social worker, how did yes, I get into yes, yes, yes. this field? 
So great question. So, um, you know, of course, one of the one of the, the, the major reasons was, you know, things, you know, I guess phenomena that I saw in my family, phenomena I saw in my community, in my environment. So I, I grew up around predominantly Jamaicans, uh, East Asians, specifically Chinese, South Asian, Sri Lankan. Um, didn't really see much white people growing up, right? And the odd white person that I did see, they were working class. And so I never really saw the upper middle class Anglo-Saxons that let's say you would see on a show like Family Guy or see on a show like Simpsons or things that, you know, shows like that. I I didn't have that experience. And so, and, and that there, there's a reason I bring that up and I'll talk about that later. But I grew, you know, growing up there and observing things that I saw as it pertains to behaviors, as it pertains to social issues, environmental and economic issues, it, it, it pricked my curiosity because I was really trying to figure out, although, you know, when I'm looking at my environment, I'm not seeing what I'm seeing on TV, but then when I'm getting into other spaces, the professionals don't reflect where I'm from, right? Mm -hmm. They're predominantly white. That's when I'm now seeing these people that I'm seeing in movies, these white people that I'm seeing in the movies, for instance, or who resemble them. And I'm, you know, from a young age, I saw this disparity, right? And I thought, well, this, this is an issue. And then I thought, okay, maybe it's just in the school space. But then you see the police officers who will come into the neighborhood. But then you see the lawyers. And then you go to the doctor's office and you see the doctors. And something just wasn't clicking, right? Especially when I was talked to many of my peers and their parents in the neighborhood who talked about back home, they were statisticians, they were physicians, they were engineers, they were teachers, they were nurses. But they're here, they're taxi drivers, but here they're working in factories. They're working in, you know, very low grade restaurants, um, hair salons, whatever it may be. Not to say there's anything wrong with those professions, but we're talking a, a notion of underemployed. Mm-hmm. underemployed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In seeing that, I said, I need to rectify that. And then, of course, I was seeing behaviors and, and, and moods and, you know, even other I one would say abnormal behaviors manifesting and I was making the connections that it was like why does so-and-so never want to leave her house why does she always seems sad or so-and-so just seems so agitated all the time or I always see this gentleman in my neighborhood always walking and talking to himself and he just mm. looks unkept so I was seeing essentially what I couldn't vocalize or articulate I was seeing mental health issues manifest yeah. in mm. my everyday work cross-culturally but of course my my attention was on my people Right. So you fast forward. I initially wanted to do psychology and be a psychologist, but I didn't know if I wanted to do my PhD because to be a clinical psychologist, you need your doctorate. Mm -hmm. So then I said, you know what? I heard about social work. My father introduced me uh, to the, you know, to this notion of uh, social work. And I started to get to know it. And I realized, okay, you learn the actual clinical skills, interviewing, case management, writing skills, etc. I'm like, I want to get a job. So that's how I got into the social work field. And so initially, I didn't want to be a social worker. I was like, eh. But then I, I started to develop passion. And then it was in school that I really started to refine this passion and uh, take an interest in the mental health approach, or, you know, in the mental health realm. And as you know, as you and I discussed, it was a lot of learning. So I was learning a lot of Western paradigms, Western understandings of what value systems and ideologies and behaviors in Western European or European North American populations. But then I had to unlearn and relearn paradigms that were congruent with my people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, great, thanks. Now I know 
why you guys do what you do, but why do my people do what they do? Some things may be universal, other things may be different. So this is where a lot of the unlearning learning occurred, and now I'm doing my PhD to really fine tune that, as well as some of my experiences that I'll talk further about later. So that's how I got into the field, and that was my trajectory. And um, yeah, that's that that's been my journey thus far. Okay, thanks for sharing and and starting especially from the point and the importance of representation and and yes. sometimes we think um, especially now there's a lot of conversation about diversity equity and inclusion and for yes. some people they think oh as long as when we take a picture they'll see oh there's someone on a in a wheelchair they'll see the skin color they'll see the body sizes they'll see uh the gender and they'll be yes. able to, to say oh we have um, all these yeah. steps but then, the token the token yeah, the to- yeah. yes 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 but yeah. then um, it's interesting for you to take us back from uh, when you're young and just what that lack of or um, the type of representation that you saw or didn't see in your environment mm-hmm. um, and how it affected how you chose the career path you chose and mm-hmm. so just with, with regards to representation even in the material that we see outside, what would you say is lacking in the mental health space for Black people with regards to information and also with regards to um, awareness of how we manifest or how we show up in our everyday life? Excellent. So just so I understand the question correctly, what I guess you want me to comment on what are the issues as it pertains to, I guess, any uh, any gaps in what's happening mm-hmm. in the space as it pertains to Black people and, yeah. and, 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 and what that looks like. So, uh, again, great question. When it comes to awareness, uh, you know, of mental health and, and the importance of, you know, um, preserving and, and, and um, uh, fostering your mental health, I always tell people it's about us as black people as african people in general re-embracing this notion of mental health and reintegrating it back into our uh perspective of health in general and i use the term re-embracing because what has been i think distorted is that we as black people have just been these this oblivious group of people who need to be re- you need to be educated on the importance of mental health oh yeah there's stigma in the community because oh you you poor um, uncultured people who have no idea about mental health and sometimes we feed into it oh yeah we, we just stigmatize in our community but you know white people they don't stigmatize it and so essentially indirectly we're saying we need to learn from white people how to take care of our mental health and then I some I have to pause because I said, well, why do you? What, why is it that mental health is stigmatized in the community? Why aren't we asking that question? Was it always stigmatized? Why aren't we asking that question? And when I've done my homework, when I've listened to anecdotes, or when I've, as I would say, decoded certain messages, when I've listened to songs, when you listen to in Afro-American context, the blues, when you listen to the Negro spirituals, when you listen to R&B, right? We were talking about mental health, but we were using different language, right? The blue. We were talking about the, the these very melancholic feelings, right? But we may have not use the term depression. Doesn't mean that we didn't know what it meant. 
right? And so this is what happens is black people are going to a space looking for white definitions of mental health and illness, which is incongruent with what how we understand it. And that, for one, repels us from wanting to pursue it because they're like, well, I'm not white. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to embrace this concept of depression from a European standpoint, but it's incongruent with me. So then I'm going to reject it. But then we also have to understand that in our communities, I don't care if you go to the continent, if you go to the Caribbean, go to South America, we've had to be strong for so long. Mm-hmm. When was there an opportunity to be vulnerable? To show and talk about mental health and illness, you have to have the privilege to be vulnerable. We didn't have the privilege to do that. Right. So then we unfortunately have to condition ourselves to be strong, to be uh, indifferent about struggle. We almost had to embrace this notion of struggle because we felt that it was inevitable. And unfortunately, we had a distorted understanding of religion that we interpreted as being okay to struggle because, well, there's paradise and heaven on the other side. So we're thinking, well, there's no point. And in some ways, it's been a protective factor against suicide. But then as we can see, as time progressed, it actually has now become a risk factor in some cases, mm-hmm. right? So all of that to say, that's some of the, the, the barriers is Black people are going in with a very European understanding of mental health and illness. Some of our professionals are coming in perpetuating that. So then they're still being met with resistance. We have to use the language that our people understand. We have to use the metaphors, the experiences to understand because culture, mental health, and researchers have confirmed this is inextricably linked, right? You cannot separate culture from mental health. What depression looks like in East Asia will look very different from Southeast Asia, Mm. will look very different from South Asia, Mm. right? Where India and Pakistan are, Mm. right? Same thing in the Caribbean. And so there may be universal understandings, like depression is universal, anxiety is universal, but its manifestation may be culturally different. And if we don't have those specific nuances recognized, that's going to be a major barrier for that. And then it ends up being a major barrier in terms of diagnosis. Um, I think I've just kind of mind shift because, you know, um, when I asked that question and I was asking about representation, I think I was, I was coming in with the mindset that oh, it, it has to look like what it's always looked like for what has been served to us over time. And so maybe we're not seeing it because it doesn't look like what has always been served. But then you've just taken me to this whole new place where it, it, it doesn't look like what's been served because it's, it's different for this particular group for us as black people. And um, in previous shows, I think I've had guests where we were trying to talk about the fact that maybe we don't talk about depression or schizophrenia because we don't have one word in our languages that says schizophrenia or or mental health um, or or, or depression, sorry. And then this is just a mind shift because then just because we don't have that one word doesn't mean, as you said, people are not talking about it or people are not experiencing it. They're They're going through those same motions, but they're just not expressing it the way we've thought they should express it. So we can yeah. end the show now. I've, I've lost. That's it. Mic drop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mic drop. That's, but that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for that. Um, and, and so when you talk about manifestation now, because we've on the, opened that can, what does, what, how does it manifest um, among Black people, especially Black people in the diaspora? 
Very good. So, um, so for instance, you know, what one one example um, would be, for instance, and again, this is not for every single black person, as we know, but it's more common in 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 our respective cultures than, let's say, in comparison to, you know, European North America. So, you know, you're Canadians, you're Americans, etc. When I've worked with uh, white people, right? Because I've worked, I've worked cross-culturally when it comes to, you know, treating mental health and illness from, again, a psychological or psychosocial standpoint. Mm -hmm. And they talk about depression. Oftentimes, it's mainly on the psychological, you know, oh, you know, I just, I have these depressive thoughts and I have this low mood. They, they, they meet the criteria. Mm -hmm. Maybe that is illustrated in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual or the DSM-5, mm -hmm. right? As I as, as is known as the Bible of mental health again yeah. fictitious yeah, yeah. you know there's a whole <laughs> bunch of issues there um but at least I would say European psychiatry because you know it's based off the European framework they may say psychologically but when it comes to let's say our people what I've noticed and I haven't noticed this solely with Jamaicans or solely with Nigerians I've noticed with some Somali people some Kenyan people that I've worked with you know some people who are Congolese it's much more somatic right so somatic meaning it's related to their body. So they, when I, when you, when I administer the depression questionnaire, right, whether it's Beck depression, you know, scale or the, the PHQ or patient health questionnaire, which measures depressive symptoms, they'll oftentimes say, yeah, you know, because a lot of it's more on the psychological. When I get to the physical, do you feel like, you know, how often do you feel tired? Oh, all the time, right? And, and I thought it was just one person. But I was starting to see it recurrently. I just, damn it, I just feel, oh, my, my body just feels, as Jamaican said, I just feel mush up. I just feel just, just down. And I just, I don't, they're talking somatically. They, they can't, they're not mentioning something intellectually. They're talking how they're feeling. They say, you know, or it's like, I feel anxious. I, I just feel oh tense and my, my body feels achy and things like that and that doesn't mean other people don't feel those symptoms but what is the focus and this is and then when i started doing my research my phd particularly but even before that i started to see that this was a trend across the globe they were finding this in the uk that when black people presenting with say with depressive symptoms it was more somatic they said the same thing in the states they said the same thing in jamaica they said the same thing in nigeria so when i'm seeing these trends and now i'm looking at the diaspora okay it makes sense why it may be being perceived differently right or i have youth for instance who are coming in with a cannabis use disorder right they're coming in and they're addicted to, to, to marijuana and they'll just be labeled cannabis use disorder severe by the physician, right? Mm -hmm. But then when I'm talking to them, they're depressed, right? And they say, I just hate life and how I cope with it is by smoking. And when you're hitting the criteria, they're talking about the bodies, they're talking about the feelings of hopelessness, they're talking about the, the, the loss of pleasure, the, the, the inability to uh, perceive anything in the future. They're, mm -hmm. You know, they're all of the lack of ambition, the low self-esteem, the mm -hmm. body aches, the, the digestive issues, the, the, the oversleep, hitting all the criteria but guess what we we're more focused on the marijuana usage right when in reality if you talk further about them some of us are really good at functioning well that mm -hmm. you have to be past the facade mm -hmm. then things can get missed and i saw a lot of things will get missed with some of our youth 
where they were just getting diagnosed with a drug disorder, but behind it was PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Behind it was in depression. Or in some of our parents, I even like to use this example, last example, is when it comes to anxiety. Sometimes our parents, for instance, when we feel like they're always rushing and, and seem agitated when they're trying to do something with us, or they just seem like they always have these irrational fears, like you go out, well, don't go out. What happens if you do this? Well, well, well wash your hands in this way. That's anxiety. But we see it as, yo, why is my mom always angry? Or, dang, why is my dad always vexed? You're, they may be anxious, right? And may struggle with this notion of anxiety. And then you look at, well, my mom doesn't really have much friends. Well, you know, my, now that you think of it, my mom constantly is restless. She can't sit still or she does it. So what I'm trying to show are examples of things that we have normalized in our respective communities yes. that actually may be indicative of something that our parents or ourselves or our peers are struggling with in the form of a mental health issue. And we can't be afraid to use that term because if we were experiencing digestive issues, we wouldn't say, oh, it'll pass. We would want to get diagnosed so that we can treat it. Yeah. We need to say the same thing when it comes to mental health issues. There's certain forms that are just normalized. It's mm -hmm. just a stress. Other things that are certain to impair you occupationally in your work socially in your social interrelation relationship educationally your ability to focus in school um psychologically your ability to think clearly and, and perceive things in a proper way when it's starting to impair in those respective mannerisms your spiritual purpose you're you're clouding what you believe in your, what you believe about yourself and your purpose and your being that's when we're starting to hit the realm of something being disordered or something being, you know, you being ill in that capacity. So anyway, that comprehensive understanding, I want to give really examples that a lot of people could probably relate to. Yeah, and you know, I did this at some point because uh, we have a lot of memes and jokes and when we do comedy yes. about African parents, yes. these are the things we, we say and, 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 and when we comment, we are all saying, I think all African parents went to the same school or read yes. from the same manual. <laughs> Yes. But we have never really stood and said, why are they actually behaving this way? Why yes. do they do these things? And so, again, another mic drop because... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And, and, and as you're speaking, I was like, yep, yeah, I've seen that in my mom a couple of times. And I know a couple of other relatives who, uh, there are times it just feels I'm like, oh, what's going on today? But I've never yeah. really... Because that manifestation, yes, I know what would be the sort of textbook um, of signs and symptoms, but then this manifestation, which I have seen repeatedly, I have yes. never connected and said, oh, this is anxiety, because how the textbook definition of anxiety is not what I have seen. And so I was yes. like, yep, I'll be able to point out anxiety in my community. But now I'm saying, oh, no, I, I, I have seen it repeatedly, but I haven't. And yes. then with regards to uh, the symptoms in Kenya, we have um, something called... Um, in, in Kenya, we say ugonjwa ya hapa na pale, the sickness of here and there. Uh, and, and so yes. when we are talking about the uh, somatic um, symptoms, yes. so that's what we have in Kenya. And we, we, we actually say it's hapa na pale. Hapa na pale means here and there. So someone mm -hmm. will say it's, you know, sometimes it's a headache, it's a backache, yes. a 
I just feel my shoulders and then mm-hmm. you, you you tell them ah it will pass it will pass because it's you know it's something they always say and then when it now I'm really thinking about it and you know we say for a long for a long time that these symptoms are happening then that would be as you said a disorder and so yes I know people who have disorders and I just thought yeah <laughs> Yeah. Take a painkiller, right? you know, stretch, do some yoga and you yeah. but then miss the bus, miss the right? bus completely. Yeah. And just a quick statement about that, you know, I think you know, for instance, a physical health issue that we will oftentimes let's say overlook is, you know, anemia. Right? We know low iron is uh, you know, a major issue in our community and so you will have members of our community who just normalize, I'm like, just, I'm always tired, bro. I'm just always cold, I need an extra sweater. And again, it doesn't mean that it's going to, you know, uh, impact your life in a very severe, or, you know, severe manner, but it clearly impacts it. And then when you start to realize, hold on, you're always tired, right? You're always cold. What's going on? Okay, maybe I'll get it checked. You get it checked, you find out your iron levels are like extremely low and you need to take some form of a supplement to increase it. That goes to show it's some form of a disorder. This is not normal, right? It's not it's it's about well, what is normal levels to keep mm-hmm. you functioning? Mm-hmm. Now, is it too high that it's going to have this effect or is it too low? That's when we say, you know, I think we've, unfortunately, because of colonialism and enslavement, we've tried to shy away from this notion of normal abnormal because it's been perverted, right? But we've always understood the importance of normal versus abnormal because something that may be abnormal may be unhealthy, Mm -hmm. right? And something that may be normal may be healthy. We're not talking subjective. We're talking, okay, what is good for your health? Certain iron levels in that example are good for your health. If it's too low, that may create fatigue and other related symptoms. So it works no differently than in the in the psychological realm, where yeah, if you are in, if you have these pains and it's beginning to impact in all these different areas, it may be time to look deeper. Like, hmm, let's look more into this. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad it resonated with you. Those examples usually resonate with my audience when I when I talk about it. They're like, oh my gosh, you're talking like you're talking to my mom yeah. or my dad. <laughs> Yeah, and and so uh, because we don't have many you to to be able to break all this down for us. So how are we able? How are through your profession? How are you able to make sure that people can have more information? Can be able to do more for themselves to take care of themselves. That's a good question and that I think is the predicament is there's limited resources um, specifically speaking to as I as I alluded to the, the manifestation of mental health or mental health and illness even, even what it means to be mentally healthy versus what it means to be mentally ill again culturally are culturally bound there's very limited what I would say, what what are some examples? What I've tried to do when I had some time before is write some articles. So I mean, people will see on my site that I have some articles just talking about, for instance, you know, the imposter syndrome. We hear a lot about the imposter syndrome, what that looks like, and so I talk about that. I talk about its origins and what it was based off. You know, where it was based off of. But I talk about examples that may be more congruent with our people, right? And I talk about 
um, what may be grounding our imposter syndrome. So when people are reading it, they'll say, oh, wow, that's okay. Now that's speaking more to me. It's not just a matter of, oh, yeah, you know, am I doing as great as I, as people say I am? No, I'm probably not. Where is that coming from? Mm. And where is it manifest? Is it only when you're in predominantly white spaces and you're the only black worker? That's a different type of imposter syndrome, mm. right? So I, I, I've tried to write some articles like that. And under, and then also about the, the, the whole notion of the controversy behind, do we say mental disorder? Do we say mental distress? Do we say anti-psychiatry? Do we say we're pro-psychiatry? I don't think it needs to be black or white, but I think we cannot belittle real significant issues that do impair some of our people who are struggling so i i've written some articles i think in terms of literature um oh i'm trying to think of some um some literature that uh would, would resonate um there's a lot in the african-american context mm-hmm. right so for you know authors like dr Naheem akbar has written some work like papers in african psychology and dr alvin poussant uh, who's a psychiatrist and he's done a lot of work i'm reading a book right now called lay my burden down and i think uh you know dr Francis cross walsing she's also done a, a lot of work when it comes to psychiatry um and understanding you know black people's mind again predominantly in the in the in the u.s but what i've done is taken some concepts that may be relatable and then tried to see okay how can it relate to our context but in terms of understanding you know or, or having resources to, to, to really um deal with this I think, to be honest youtube may be your best friend i mean there's there's a lot of good work coming out of let's say south africa and nigeria for instance and i think even uh somewhere coming out of kenya save some videos where you have people who are, have a combination let's say of traditional healing experience and let's say physician work or they are social workers from one paradigm but they also have experience working in you know their respective home villages right you have some people who are talking about this and giving examples on youtube so i'd say you know for people to look up um you know traditional understandings of, of mental health and illness you know respective african countries or looking up depression or or, or 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 psychotic disorders in our countries just to start to hear people's stories that may resonate with you or resonate with a family member that would be a starting point um because yeah it's it's tough um there's very few resources um and a lot of the other resources are are primarily in the western hemisphere Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. but i'm hoping to change that that's that's my goal is i'm hoping to change that so you know people stay tuned um boost that work and that, um, what you're saying is more or less how I got into this space because I was looking for resources that, and this was way back in the early two, two, 2000s, looking for resources that I could relate to. And then now yeah. that's how I got into blogging because I wanted to share narratives that were, that people around me could relate to. And so this show, as I mentioned, is geared towards, um, people in the continent and, and, and Africans across the globe and black people because then we need to hear our own stories and also hear yes. professionals that work with us and know yes. us. Um, and so as we start winding down, um, your organization, I, I find it has an interesting name, Global uh, Mind Emancipation. So why that name and what exactly do you do? 
Excellent. So why that name? Uh, because, you know, as is in direct or even indirect communicating the title, I want our people to, you know, globally to emancipate our mind. You know, we have essentially, in some cases, remained shackled to narratives that we have internalized over time paradigms and you know value systems that we have upheld that are incongruent with who we truly are for so long and even as we try to escape from that you see some of the challenges manifest um in our pursuits in what we tell our children and how we rear our children and you know our relationship with our parents you see that our minds unfortunately are still uh you know, enslave, because I mean, it's the, that's the opposite of emancipate. Emancipate is to free, enslave is to keep in bondage. And our minds, unfortunately, are still in bondage to some of these, uh, you know, antiquated uh, notions of what it means to be black, what it means to be African, what it means to be Caribbean. And what I'm trying to help people do generally and of course, in specific manners in the mental health realm, is to free ourselves from it. So like me talking about embracing how we understand mental health and illness, right? Because that too can be measured. That too can be objective. That too can be quantifiable. Just like they're trying, they try to quantify what, how Europeans do, we can do it with ours from our lens. And I think that's the next piece is we have to do it from our lens. Uh, I know initially you and I were talking about what happens when some people migrate from their home countries to here. Mm-hmm. One big issue that I see is this struggle between assimilation versus acculturation. People, it's one thing to try to adjust while you're here. As I say, when in Rome, as the Romans. But then at, in some cases, at what cost? Do you end up forgetting who you are? For instance, do you stop speaking your language to your children? Do you stop engaging in the practices that you were doing back home? Because you're saying, well, we're not back home. That, that, that doesn't mean your culture leaves you now. Yeah. yeah. Right. So all that say, this is part of me and part of Global Mind Emancipation. When I do my lectures, this is things that I talk about when I'm in therapy and, and, and you know, helping people do that. This is what I do. I tell people therapy is not just me salivating over cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy or narrative therapy i can over i can spew that out cool doesn't mean it's going to help you unless you have a firm understanding of who you are and you emancipate yourself from narratives that maybe you have internalized we, we all have right it's, it's by virtue of the extension of the residual effects of colonialism and enslavement right that's what's the title and that's what i've been that's really my goal is you know to do that so that I guess the end objective is for people, black people globally, to be proud of who we are, to value the beauty that comes with our skin color, to value our value systems and our ideologies, and place that at the center. Where it's not about excluding and 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 degrading other value systems, but saying, you know what, I don't I don't need to use European ideologies to understand mental health or physical health or economics. You know what? Hold on, we. Maybe there's another understanding of economics that we can do in our Nigerian context or our Jamaican or our Colombian or our Brazilian context or Kenyan context. 
maybe I can actually pull from some of our people doing our work rather, not, rather than just spewing out what the white economists have done or white philosophers. We have our own philosophers. This is what I'm trying to do is put that to the center. So that's the name. And then as I shared, I, I do lectures and that I do, you know, I do therapy, individual couples and family therapy. Currently, I'm restricted to, to how many clients I can take or how many patients I can take just because I'm in school. Um, so I'm doing by, you know, a case by case basis. But all of that to say that's part of why uh, that's a big reason why I, I came up with that name, because I realized we, we really need to free ourselves. And that and the goal is for us to be self-sufficient, self-determined people where we are competitors rather than emulators. We're not trying to just mimic. We're trying to create and innovate and show no, we too have our own respective identity that we also love, and that, and then everything else will be a, a you know, positive um, consequence. So, hope that's clear. That, that, that was a lot of good things that he said. Uh, but as you're talking, it took me back from uh, back to where we started with regards to embracing, uh, re-embracing all aspects of ourselves and. Yes. what you're doing with the organization as you were talking i felt that's that's it that's re-embracing not just all aspects of our health but all aspects of our being and just yes. you know who we are but also mm-hmm. something interested interesting that you talked about that i want us to mention really quickly before we get into the quick fire section you go. okay <laughs> is about um movement and i know when we started talking about movement we jumped into your own sort of story but then when we look up at movement and think about the the culture we are from the culture we are getting into and the sort of culture we need to develop to be able to to be successful in the space we are is there a right way to do that I, I mean, I know everybody's situations are different, but what I've seen in, in observing other cultures and even members in our respective communities where the kids or the offspring or the adults have been successful. When I say successful, I'm not just talking strictly economically. I mean, there's a, a cultural success. There's a mental and even physical success in terms of they are able to thrive rather than just simply survive. Mm-hmm. What that looks like is understanding, is protecting your home. And when I say protecting your home, I mean making your home a place of refuge that when you go out into the world, okay, you're in Canada, right? You are going to have to adjust to their rules and not, I mean, and abide to them, mm-hmm. not per se fully embrace them per se. You don't have to embrace their full value system and ideologies, but you have to be strategic. But when you come back into this house, you're coming back into Kenya. You're coming back into Colombia. You're coming back into Italy. I've seen this with Italians. They say, yeah, yeah, out there, that's what the Canadian kids do. In this house, you are Italian. You do this, you do that. So those children are going to learn and, and even if they fight it, they cannot help but understand and embrace it. It becomes a part of your fabric. I've seen people be successful. I've seen the the, 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 the conflict, right? Mm-hmm. The internal mm-hmm. conflict, because you're going between two worlds. Yes. But in that same breath, it's not just about the parents making sure that this place is a home of refuge by way of um, cultural preservation. Mm-hmm. 
but it's also by way of a place of emotional comfort. So when that child is coming and saying, you know, uh, I'm just struggling because the kids are making fun of my lunch and, mm. or, you know, the kids, I'm, I'm the only accent. my accent and my mm. name. And mm-hmm. The parents have to be comforting and say, okay, you know what? Those kids are going to do that, but we love you. You are going to be embracing this help. You have to give the kids a place of refuge to feel um, comfortable returning back to because the world is going to spit on them but they have to have a place where they can go back and recharge and mm. come back and say alright let's do it but if you come home to hardened or callous and indifferent parents who are like don't worry about them just just go you, you'll be okay so now I gotta suppress all of this mm. and this is I'm dealing with you know clients who are in their 30s or 40s mm. are really struggling with all of this pent-up frustration where it's a matter of they're cognitively dissonant they're like i appreciate what my parents did and mm. they instilled this cultural pride in me but when i was struggling with instances of racism mm. they just shoved it under the rug and it may have been related to their own anxiety about racist encounters that they may have experienced as immigrants mm. so we see all this play out but the what success looks like still foundational your place has to be a place of refuge you can't change what the world does, but you can do. You can control what happens in your house. Try not to let that stress from the outside world come into the home. Leave it out there. I know you're stressed. When you come home, put that aside as best as you can. Teach your children about your culture. Teach them the language. Teach them to embrace their name, embrace their accent. Teach them the importance of education, but the importance of education to give back to the community, not to just get a good job, mm-hmm. right? You have to have a place of refuge so that child learns to be proud of who they are so when they go into the world they are formidable right that nobody you can call them whatever name they're like you know that's cool because my foundation is secure the children who struggle the most have a faulty foundation that's what i've seen working with children to working with grown adults faulty foundation they're susceptible to pretty much any behavioral issue and any other societal um stressor they become more susceptible so place of refuge success okay i i feel like this show has ended 30 times because that's how <laughs> i feel i'm like okay cool mic drop wow thank you thank you bring out something more i'm like okay that's a better mic drop so yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm, i'm happy to hear that yeah but i think that's that's yeah i agree with that that the home is having a place where you can yeah at the end of the day and know that i don't have to keep up appearances and all those things no. i don't have to fight i don't have to suppress no. anything so um yeah and i hope more people will embrace that for themselves every day okay now we get into the quick fire section where I'll ask you for random questions and then you'll ask me one question and then um you'll tell us how we can find you and um we'll be done with the show. Okay. So, question number one, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do for mental health? If I had all the money in the world, what would I do for mental health? Ooh, that is a good question. Um I think one first and foremost one major thing that i would do is build is build a hospital um or some form of an institution dedicated to black people to to solely 
and unapologetically manage our health issues in a, in, a, in a systematic manner, right? So have a space. I know people have think hospitals are controversial, but we, to have a separate space for us to have our health needs met mm-hmm. um, in a way, and and it be mandated that when they're coming to the hospital, they're getting the the respective services that as a part of our traditional frameworks of healing, mm-hmm. right? Sure, we can integrate whatever Western uh, practices that we feel are beneficial, but the center point is thing are, are, are services and, and methods that are congruent with our people. So I would create some form of a hospital, some form of an institution that is to help, uh, not just mental health, but even physical health, because we know the two interrelate. So okay. I would do that. I would also have an extension of um, services in the community. Um, I, would pre- I would honestly dedicate even a library to resources. Mm. Uh, resources that people can access both audio and and uh, and literature yeah. so that and and it's and i would want to have it again we're talking all the money in the world have a location <laughs> in every uh community that's either predominantly black or solely black yeah. um or has a significant black population uh and the last thing i will probably do is uh create a uh, a science uh center or, or research center yeah. or uh, to, to be dedicated to finding respective remedies and doing that rigorous research, you know, that's what I'm in my PhD for, yeah. to come up with or innovate treatment solutions to uh, solving, you know, some of the crises that we experience when it comes to mental health and illness, right? So a dedicated research and science team mm-hmm. to help make that the priority for our people. So I would do those three things, a library, yeah. the, uh, the, the science center, and then a hospital. Okay, I, I hope someone with a lot of money is listening because because you, you have a plan. I feel like if I ask you, do you have the plans? Do you, I feel like you'll come up with In the back. I got the blueprint. <laughs> <laughs> okay, n- number two. Who would you work with if you were to choose three people to work with to make this a reality? Who would you work with? Anyone across the globe, three people. Hello? Um, my gosh, uh, you know, I'm not the most familiar with, with names. I mean, one of them I definitely want to get to know is Dr. Alvin Poussaint. I mean, he, I'm reading his book right now. He was the one who helped, uh, Bill, uh, Bill Cosby. He's controversial, but he helped create the Bill Cosby show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a brilliant man. I would love to just work and, and sit and talk with him. Um, oh, who else? Um, that's a that's a tough one um because i'm slowly getting to, again because this information has been concealed i'm slowly getting to know people in these respective realms um probably some maybe you know maybe some form of uh you know scientist or geneticist based in africa or the caribbean so that we can help do some like you know genetic and epigenetic work in our peoples um so whomever is good in that and then again maybe somebody who's uh and you know what I would want to work with some some form of some traditional healers so that we can also have that integrated because I've been really gathering interest. I mean, I do plan to take some trips to, you know, some different African countries as, as time permits. So I would really, I mean, I don't know any off the top of my head, but yeah. just in understanding the importance of that, I'd probably want to work with them as well. Some Somebody, irrespective of where they are in the sub-Saharan region. So I think those three... Uh, Dr. Abu Kusan, just because I'm most familiar with him, and yeah. then 
for the scientists and traditional healers. So <laughs> we mentioned earlier that we have fewer men in the in, in sort of social work, mental health counseling sort of space. What what would you advise or tell young men who might not have thought of this area as a career path or who are still they're thinking should I should I? So what what sort of advice would you give to them? The short answer is do it. Um, I would I would say do it because the people in my class don't look like well neither one you or I much less these young men um, but the clients do which is the irony. So you're in a class with professionals predominantly white women second by thankfully some black women um, but then your clientele are actually your homies are your brethren right? Are your are your people's they're like uh, in my in the mental health system when I was working in the hospital in the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, ninety percent of my caseload was young black men between the ages of sixteen to twenty four, right? That's insane. But then most of my colleagues were, were were black women, and the black woman even pointed out these young men have never had a consistent black man in their life. So I'm just a, yet another woman in their corner. They love it. They think of me as a motherly figure. They think of me as a sister. But then they're like, are there any men? Like, brothers have asked. So, young men, you are needed. And it doesn't just have to be in social work. Social work. You can be a psychologist. You can be a psychiatrist. Now, some would say, but David, those are all Western uh, frameworks. Those are all Western professions. We have to start somewhere. Because guess what? They're Western. But our young men are ending up in these Western institutions and overrepresented. So, how do we deal with the issue we can't solely be you know we sure we know in other realms there's other ways of healing but we have to address the void that is being created so i would tell young men do it um and go to that highest level be the physician be the health researcher be the clinical social worker be the clinical psychologist be that level and then learn and unlearn and relearn just like i did traditional healing methods so you can combine and integrate uh, the, the two approaches if you're endowed to do so or combine with somebody who has that expertise but I would say do it, please. We need you guys. We need okay. you guys. Okay. Last question. Um, how do you take care of yourself with all these amazing things you do? Great, great question. My, I first and foremost, I really try to practice deep breathing. I mean, I have two young kids, so I have to. <laughs> um, you know, me and my wife, we go, we go back and forth. Uh, but I really try to practice deep breathing. I, I really don't underestimate the power of taking deep breaths and how it really regulates you. Um, I do my best to go outside for some walks, right? Get some fresh air, really be amidst nature. I read a lot. Reading is like my passion. That's probably why I can spew out a lot of facts and, 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 and respective notions because I read a lot of different literature, mental health literature, historical literature, mm. you know, military literature whatever it may be. Of course, a lot of, you know, uh, black and African literature. Um, so I read when when possible, love to take vacation, um, but particularly to different places to not just solely be on the resort. I love to actually be uh, when in some cases it's safe to do so um, amidst the people. And I really do a lot of observation and, I, and interactions, even when there's a language barrier. I just understand how body language, as I say, is 90% of communication. So, I, you know, I really love to travel with my wife and, and, you know, just I love to also be amidst nature and just meditate, pray. I, I'm of the Christian faith. And so 
um, I really try to have that grounded um, in every, in all that I do. So yeah, those are some yeah, those are some of the ways I do. Hey, I love the spa, brothers. Get into the spa. Yeah, leave that chauvinistic attitude at home. The spa will change your life. So I love spas when possible. So, but yeah, those are some ways that I take care of myself, and of course, spending family time. That to me is just top of my priorities. So, yeah. Okay. Um, when you say deep breathing, I found myself thinking about it, and I started taking short breaths. Uh, uh, that's what I sparked something in me. Okay. Yes. Now you ask me one yes. random question. Now I will ask you a random question. Uh, you know what? If you, I mean, obviously, you know, you're 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 proud and born and raised in Kenya, and we know how diverse Africa. If there was any three African countries that you could also concurrently call home. Yes. Which ones would you pick? Which one? Which ones do you also have a love for? Nigeria. 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 Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. this is Nigeria. I love the Nigerian energy. Um, when you're descri- uh, describing the Jamaican energy, I think. Yeah. I think that's our version like nigeria is yeah. our version um that's our genetic ancestry <laughs> so, <laughs> yep they're, they're they're loud they're every like it's the nice loudness they're everywhere they're doing everything i i just love nigerian energy um been to lagos a couple of times um it's 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 just amazing okay. uh, second place would be ghana Ghana, okay, yeah. yes, on my bucket list as well. Yeah, I I love Ghana. The art, um, it's one of the things that I love about it. It's the first African country I ever traveled to. Okay, okay. So it's 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 always been that place I always want to go back to. Um, and then South Africa. South Africa, okay, okay, excellent, excellent. Yeah, all three places that, that I love to continue. The, the yeah. seven sweet countries. I feel bad I haven't been to a lot of North African countries, so okay, okay. <laughs> that's on my bucket list. But Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, yeah, so yeah, those are home, as you said. Yeah, there, there we go, there we go. That's that's wonderful. I'm so, yeah, so happy. Yeah. we have to change the narrative. Uh, narrative of Africa, morally for our people. Hey, you know, why do want to think all the hippies? Fine, you all stay over there in Europe. Yeah. We need we, to change yeah. the narrative of, of these beautiful places. You know, some of the most beautiful places in, in the world that I'm still, I really need to go to. So, uh, yeah. those yeah. places are wonderful. That's with Great. Kenya, which that was- we conclude that is better than Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you hear that on my. <laughs> My gosh, the audacity. No, no, no. I've heard really good things about KF. Some of my clients have told me as well. We know Jamaica's cool, but you need to come back to our home. I'm like, oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so this has been amazing. I have learned a lot. Um, I think the thing that has stuck most with me is the manifestation aspect and just how we have seen a lot of these mental health uh, issues in ourselves and in our relatives, but yes. we've not really understood what that meant, and so we've not really provided the support and the um, yeah the the 
interventions that that would have been needed at that time but i hope as people listen to this show and this episode in particular that they just have those you know like bad moments i can see all those african kids that they usually small kids on youtube and and then on social media and i'm thinking oh my god we've all said oh that's my mom that's my aunt yes then yes we didn't know what was happening so i hope now when we look at them even if we laugh but we also say oh yeah we need to dig deeper and see yeah. uh, what the root causes of some of these issues are and just be better and do better so Thank you thank you for all the mic drop uh, episodes we definitely want to catch up and see how your PhD journey is going what are these new things to discover in along the way that um our audience might find beneficial so last thing how do we get you are you on social media i know your website Excellent. is there um where yes. you speaking next and all Excellent Yeah. Okay, so a uh, beautiful question. So, uh people can follow me uh, my Instagram's my business name Global Mind Emancipation. Um it's a very long word, so uh, if you just look you just look in my uh title but yeah, Global Mind Emancipation. Um all one word. Uh so that's my Instagram. You know, I really post a lot of uh mental health awareness and information and really teaching people about depression, really teaching people about anxiety and um excuse me about even you know psychotic disorders and other 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 forms of mental health distress that may not be diagnosable but maybe just symptoms right of a bigger problem uh so you can catch me on Instagram um LinkedIn you know on a more professional note uh David Grant um you know just look for me cheesing wearing you know some form of an African garment um so you can get me on LinkedIn David Grant um you can also uh, email me at info so i n f o at globalmindemancipation.org mm-hmm. uh, that is my uh that is my business email info at globalmindemancipation.org mm-hmm. and uh yeah you uh can also get in contact with me um if even if you just want to do a consultation with me even if i'm not per se taking clients um black therapist list so that's a uh black therapist list directory uh mm-hmm. for therapists in Canada again search my name up david grant and then uh my um work my work numbers on there 6477940966 feel free to call me for any questions uh about anything uh as it pertains to you know mental health illness or just any struggles in general um i usually like to leave my work line open because people in the community always have questions so those are my ways of getting in contact with me look forward to uh you know watching this episode and I really pray and hope that this uh, episode helps somebody or even some people mm. um in whatever way shape or form so thank you Sitawa this was uh this is wonderful and I love these platforms to actually speak directly to the people this is great work that you're doing thank you 